What's up, everyone? It's Ben Decker. Welcome to the Modern Spirituality Show. And I can't wait to introduce you to today's guest. Her name is Martisa Williams. She's a radical Black, queer, femme, and lifelong student of joy and suffering. She's the founder of Naked, N-E-K-K-I-D, which is the only way to pronounce naked. Naked. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a home for making anti-oppression a daily practice, which is incredible. We're going to go more into that today. Her praxis was formed at the intersections of her spiritual faith, queer identity, the Black liberation struggle, and ancestral connection. While studying gender, sexuality, and women's studies at the University of Rochester, Martisa fell deeply in love with yogic philosophy and the embodiment practice of asana. Fascinated by social and spiritual liberation, Martisa became a 200-hour registered yoga teacher and set out to assist her community in their own liberation efforts, which is amazing. Such a good story. Such a good woman. You radiate such good energy when you're doing it. Um, let me get this last line in collective liberation born from radical love is at the root of all of her work and longing, which is incredible. This is amazing. Thank you for being here. Please welcome Marquita sure. Williams. Thank you, Ben. I'm so happy to be here and to get to chat with you. Yeah. Thank you so much. So how did we originally meet? Do you remember that? Yeah. So we met Arrhythmia. Yes. Um, last year, about this time, actually. Um, and you were speaking and you were amazing. And I think we just like connected at a conversation on our way to like lunch one day. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It that's was good. Cool. Yeah. How was your experience on the, the medicine and everything that week? Yeah. So that was my first time with Mama Aya. Um, and my Lord, it's always interesting when people ask me like, how was your experience on I, I'm like, how do I even articulate? I know. <laughs> I know. I'm like, why did I even ask that? It's like such a, I've never done an ayahuasca question. Yeah, no, it's good because it's like, you know, especially for folks who haven't done the medicine before. And even for those of us who have and done it multiple times, it's such a sacred connection to be able to, the folks who haven't done it are like so curious, right? And there's a level of their spirit that feels called to the awakening that occurs, that they've been heard that occurs. And for those of us who have done it, asking others, we're like, yes, you're, you know, you're part of the fam. We have this connection over the shared experience. Um, It was amazing. I mean, for me, I went there with the awareness that there was some ancestral Mm trauma that was the original awareness that i had there's a such a ancestral trauma that needed my attention and that i was living out cycles that i did not feel were mine mm-hmm. and i got clarification around that and also a deep connection to my ancestors where ever since they have not stopped talking to me and walking with me in my present awareness. And so I feel so grateful to the medicine. Um, I feel mama Aya with me all the time now. (laughs) And so like it, I feel like it opened me up to the spirit realm in a way that I was very afraid to even go into before. Wow. Yeah, that's huge. And so has that informed the work that you're doing? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I will share a, a small part of my experience in that that goes into this work. Um, this was actually on breath work before taking the medicine. Um, the facilitator was prompting the different questions. 
and I'm in the breath work, doing my breathing, my my vision and everything is shifting. You know, my body is doing craziness. Yeah. And you're like, oh my goodness. And there was a very, very long and strong vision that I had straight on oxygen, no Aya in my system yet, where I was surrounded by my ancestors. Well, I was surrounded by the four women that raised me. And at that time, three of them were still in the realm of the living. Mm. I was surrounded by them and then portaled into a line with the rest of my ancestors where I was standing in front. And they all in unison said, um, you have become someone that we are proud of. Wow. I had a deep vision of my spirit babies in my womb and then all of the beings that will be here after me. And for me, this, this, I got this clear understanding that the work that I do in the world, the way that I am in the world are strive to be, because it's not consistent all the time. You know, the way that I strive to be is in deep alignment with the work of my ancestors. Hmm. And I knew that having a Black feminist praxis being the like grounding foundation and the birthplace of this work, but it was such deep clarification from my ancestors who were showing up with me and in my psyche to also reflect that as well. Wow, that's incredible. Okay, so something that we were talking about before we started recording um, ties into this, I think. Um, you, you know, the the ancestral work is so much about the way our collective, you know, the the different, you know, our race, our our nation, our particular, you know, tribe or community that our ancestors came from or sprouted from the regions that they were in, uh, the cultures that influenced that, the wars and the conflicts and and natural disasters and everything that that informed the way that they lived and interacted with each other. It all lives on in us now, you know, and Absolutely. I think I think that, you know, for, for me as a white person, I was really, really raised in the awareness of race being an issue. But I was really I remember being from a young age sort of being taught that it was no longer an issue, mm-hmm. that it was like something that happened in the past and it was like this big embarrassing fuck up mm-hmm. you know, that we're all we're all super embarrassed and ashamed of and we're doing everything we can to pretend never happened yeah you know and yeah. so we're now learning that clearly that's not the case a lot of people already knew that some of us had to learn it over the last 10 years or so um that that's definitely not the case that racism uh is something that has infiltrated human consciousness and and has not ever gone anywhere. It may have gone uh, behind smoke and mirrors, behind a PR campaign, underground. But just as homophobia hasn't gone anywhere, just as sexism has and misogyny haven't gone anywhere, uh, just as the domination over children, abuse of nature hasn't gone anywhere, racism has not gone anywhere. Mm-hmm. And um, so that's why I think it's so incredible and crucial that you're doing the anti-oppression work that you're that you're doing. And so something I wanted to ask is, is this work taught from a perspective that is particularly for people of color or is it also for the white audience? Yeah. So I'm very clear that my work is for everyone who feels called to it. 
Um, primarily my audience has been white folks, honestly. Um, because so many black folks are like, man, I don't need a lot of this stuff, you know? Um, and I, you know, I have feelings about that. And I, I, you know, I think that there's ways that we do, all of us do, all of us need to be doing the unlearning work of anti-oppression. Um, but especially in the last few years, I have seen so many of my white peers feeling very, very drawn and called to this work because especially in the pandemic age where we're seeing so clearly the ways that our systems have been built and how they have not been built with us in mind, all of us in mind, you know, it's um, super apparent and people, and it's in our faces and it feels urgent as it is. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, yeah, my work is for everyone because we all, because again, it's about collective. For me, it's about collective liberation. There is no liberation if one of us is free. There is no liberation if one race has access to their joy, their peace, their pleasure, you know, and then all the basic needs. That's not collective liberation. We have to get free together. And I know that on a metaphysical level, that's comes from the spiritual part of my lineage, right? Um, So yeah. That's why I conduct my work in the way that it does. And that is not to say that work just for white folks isn't important or work just for black folks or just for Hispanic folks. Like it does not, that doesn't say that that's not important. I think that we need to be doing our healing work in our own communities, you know, so it's safe and so that we can grow out of it, but it's important for us to grow out of it because we're on this planet together. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's so important. And and for for white people, you know, there was a there was an issue where um, we were filming a reality show. There was a, a group of us, and one of the guys on the show, big white guy, and one of the women on the show, uh, black woman, um, they had like a disagreement about something, mm-hmm. and he believed that he was being sensitive. And it was clear to see she was really bothered by what he was saying. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately for him and for her, that this was all on camera. Mm. And so, you know, we were in a really interesting situation where I was watching it play out. And it's like one of those moments where time kind of stops. And you, you know that this is like a moment that you've pretty much been prepared for. And how are you going to show up in this moment? And, um, and what, what came through was essentially pulling him aside and kind of having a moment with him and just having that moment be about when someone is the one with the trauma, whether it's this lifetime, past life, ancestral trauma, collective trauma, personalized or collective, whatever, they're the ones who get to choose if we're talking about it or not. Mm. they're the ones that get to choose how we talk about it. The person with the trauma, you know, you might know about my childhood trauma. You don't get to bring it up and talk about it, how you want to talk about it, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, um, and it, and it dawned on me the extraordinary need for um, like a neuro decolonization you know, like, like a literal brain reset, you know, which is why I think what you're doing with the toolbox 
and making anti-oppression a daily practice such a revolutionary approach. Can do you want to tell us a little bit about the toolbox and what you're I doing would, there? Yeah, I'd love to. Um, yes, to what you're saying, all of it. And especially the the neuroscience was a big when I was building out the toolbox, I had been gestating the toolbox for at least the last four years and built it out last year. And I had done so much interdisciplinary study. And one of those pieces was neuroscience and understanding how the subconscious brain works and how our subconscious rules 97% of our waking life, that we are making decisions from 97%, um, 97% of the time from the subconscious mind. When does the subconscious mind get programmed? From the ages of zero to seven, mostly. Mm -hmm. generously give or take from zero to 14, depending on who you're asking, asking. Mm -hmm. We are downloading at that time. Our brain is just a little recorder. We're just downloading everything we see, how people interact, what pe what values people have. We're just bringing that in. And then for the rest of our adult life, unless we do the work of unlearning or reprogramming, we live that story out. Right. And so I was like, liberation can't just be a freaking post on social media. <laughs> Black Lives Matter on your profile picture can't, is not enough to undo 400 plus years of subjugation. Right. So what does? Every single day changes. A shift in reprogramming programming our subconscious to be in alignment with our values for collective liberation, for peace and joy and ease and pleasure on the planet for all beings. And so in the toolbox, we, we walk through that information. What is the neuroscience of it? Understanding that. And then we move into vision, which I think is so, so important. And honestly, as a Capricorn being, <laughs> as a very, okay. okay, like as a tends to be black and white, um, staunch individual historically, the idea of imagination and vision, I'm like, come on, let's get to the real work, you know? Mm -hmm. But I, to stop, when I'm in alignment with my values, I understand that one, and I have been taught by the Black women that it has taught me, the person that comes to mind most prominently for this is Ebony Janice Moore, who does a lot of work around dreaming. And my understanding is that we cannot create something we have not seen. Mm. We cannot create something that we cannot imagine seeing with our third eye. Mm. And so if we are moving into liberation work. We have to start from a space of what can be different. What is the vision? What is beyond our present paradigm, as Michael Beckwith will say? Mm -hmm. Like, and living beyond that, right? So um, the toolbox works through how do we expand our vision? There's exercises for visualizing a free personal life, a free outer life, what our world can look like free. Mm. And then we move into the unlearning work. 
And I approach unlearning work from a space of let's be aware of the characteristics that oppression has taught us. And many of us are is looping in our subconscious mind and many of us are living out mm-hmm. scarcity, urgency, perfectionism, fear of the other. Many more. Oof. Like, let's, let's be aware of what that looks like, how it functions in our psyche, how it functions, how we see ourselves, how it functions and how we see the other. Mm -hmm. And then what do we do to replace that? Mm -hmm. So not like delving in, I mean, diving into like the shadow side, being aware of the shadow, never afraid to look at the shadow, Mm -hmm. but what are we replacing? What are we practicing? If I'm unlearning scarcity then that means I need to be practicing abundance and enoughness, right? And so that's what each section of the unlearn is one of those characteristics, what we're unlearning and then what we're practicing as part of our unlearning process of that. Love that. Yeah. And then um, we have a section about embodiment, which is all about how am I using my time? Where is my focus? Where am I placing my money? Like the actual every day, how am I in alignment with my values? What are my values? Am I clear about that? Mm-hmm. Am I in alignment with those things? Um, and then the piece that I think I feel, I don't want to say the most passionate about, but I think is maybe the most unique about the toolbox is the library of presence practices. Mm-hmm. So I have this background in yoga. I have this background in meditation. And for me, it's like, how do you make change? You make change in the present moment. Exactly. Wow. That's it. And so if we are not acquainted with how to come back into the present moment over and over and over again, we will never make change. Because again, we're looping on old programs. Mm -hmm. So coming back into the present moment is a practice, I think, that liberation starts at. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I I love what you're doing. I love this approach to it. Uh, You started with presence, vision, presence, then onto vision, unlearning, and ending with embodiment. And that's so complete. That's, That's incredible, really, for any form of transformation. Mm-hmm. And what I love about what you're communicating and how you're communicating it is um, it feels very different than sort of villainizing um, because we know that so much of this is literally like programmed into the physical body, into the physical yeah. brain and nervous system of our, of ourselves and each other in different ways, you know? And so you have like a lot of very practical and yet very also very compassionate um, undertones in this work where it's I can see you very much holding space for the tenderness and the pain of um, of people who are experiencing ancestral trauma and also collective trauma and the, the personal traumas that come with those things and the day to day living within those personal traumas. And I also love the the inclusion of of the uh, of the entire process 
going from like, okay, first and foremost, we have that library of presence practices that you said. Mm -hmm. So first and foremost, it's getting present. Nothing can happen in any way about us talking about how we're going to do that thing, how we should, you know what I, you know what? I love meditating. Haven't done it. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's that idea where, um, knowing something is not the same thing as practicing something or experiencing something. Right. Right. And that's why for me, the toolbox is really important. I mean, that's why this work of making liberation every day, every single day, because it's like one of the most frustrating parts I found in the last couple of years, especially in with um, George Floyd's um, murder and the outcry after that. And I saw it starting with Trayvon Martin, you know, and like all the other folks that we have lost doing to state sanctioned violence. Um, in the age of social media, it's like, it, let's talk about it for 10 minutes and then we're on to the next thing. And I feel like, you know, I have lots of thoughts about social media and what it's doing to our brains. But one thing that I hate to see is the shadow side, because I think social media has done amazing things for our movements about sharing it and getting the words out and all of that kind of stuff. But the shadow side to it is our attention span is so short Mm -hmm. and we are not invested in the long term change that is required. So many of us are so used to moving like this. And liberation is a practice of slowing down. I often think about liberation as the opposite to everything that the system, the it's literally the opposite of oppression. So it's an opposite of every characteristic of oppression, one of them being urgency. It's mm. the opposite slowing so far down so that we can be in awareness so that we can feel deeply where shift needs to occur mm-hmm. and like having that presence having that awareness is so it's just it really is the key really is the key mm-hmm. yeah i love that and then when it comes to the other end of the spectrum going from presence through vision unlearning and the embodiment phase the um what kind of is it yogic asana that's the basis for embodiment or or what does that look like so it's pranayama so breath work Mm -hmm. um it is asana as well um because for me personally getting it out of my body one of my um teachers who taught me asana how to teach asana melissa she said in our training and i always remember it that our issues are in our tissues Mm. And so like moving the body in whatever way feels good. And I'm a teacher from an intuitive space. My interest is not in you following me, but instead of you learning how to follow yourself Mm -hmm. in movement. And so that is definitely a part of it. Meditation. I was taught Zen meditation. Mm -hmm. So I share that practice with people. Um, And so it's a a little bit of both. So you can choose your own adventure because some of us, are not comfortable moving our bodies in a particular way. And so you don't have to do that. Right. Maybe some of us are like, Ooh, connecting to my breath actually just makes me more anxious. Fantastic. Then move, you know? So there's just different options. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's so important. You know, the, 
uh, everyone really does come in through different doors and through different, you know, pathways and everything. So having that certain kind of openness is really important. Um, one of the courses that I took, I mentioned a lot because it had a huge impact on me. It was a, it was a program through Harvard University and it was on world religions. Mm. And um, the very, very first lesson, I've mentioned this a dozen times, the very first class that this professor taught, she said, the number one most important thing to learn is that every religion, and then she said, no, every culture, every community, every single one of them is internally diverse. Mm. So we, we, when we think we're talking about diversity, when we say white people, black people, uh, people from, from Asian countries, people who are Latin American, we think we're talking about diversity when we say Jews, Christian, Muslims, Buddhists, Hindu, indigenous practitioners, but we're, but really the real diversity is beyond labels. Yes. The real diversity that we're dealing with is is so far beyond those categorizations. Um, and that's what was so revelatory for me was that not every white person is the same. Not every Christian is the same. Not every black person is the same. Not every Jew is the same. Not every Buddhist is the same. Not every yogic, not every yogi is the same. And um, and so I love that uh, space holding. It's something that I also do in my work. Space holding for the cultivation of one's own mechanism for intuition and revolution mm -hmm. self-guidance yes that part that part i think in, in like the work is for us i think that what happens is like once we're really tapped into our intuition right we stop caring like about how the rest of the world's gotta be in alignment with our control issues right like we stop that that kind of floats away and Honoring each person's autonomy becomes really, you know, at the forefront of our awareness. Mm -hmm. But I also think that like, once you get into your intuition, because I think that really what we're doing when we're tapping into our intuition is we're tapping into source. Right. Um, loving kindness is the voice, you know? So there's no need to like protect yourself or do this, all this other stuff, you know? <laughs> Because you're in alignment with source. You're right. so deeply, you know, protected and supported and in, in your joy and in your ease and in your pleasure. Like, and I think that it like allows you to radiate such beauty, mm. such compassion. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, like, you know, I I'm not gonna say I, I shy away from the spirituality talk in my work. Um but it's not at the forefront because I want to be sensitive to the fact that all of us are diverse. And I know that there's a lot of spiritual trauma that can occur, right. but like, ultimately for me, this work was built out of that. Right. I like got to a place in my studies where I was learning gender studies had been already learning it before. I mean, living it being a black woman. Right. And then I got to like a point where I was like, okay, there's gotta be another way to freedom. Like hmm. I was like, okay, looking at this freedom lineage from this historical political social movement space and was like, but there's something missing. And for me, that was spirit. Hmm. For me, that was source. That was the relationship to my intuition. And so my work funnels at that point where it looks different than other anti-oppression work or anti-racism work or anti-capitalist work. 
because it's like we're meeting in the middle of the the two pieces. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that's incredible. You know, and I remember um, when we first met. What I what I recall it's that's coming through right now was was how sensitive it seemed that you were to your intuition in the moment. Mm. Um, I, I seem to remember we were standing outside of the restaurant at Rhythmia in Costa Rica midweek. So the medicine was, in us. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so it was lit. Uh, but I want to say like midday, maybe before, or after lunch and standing out there by the pool outside the restaurant. And I, I just remember feeling like you were really listening in the present moment. And, and I remember I was really sensitive to what you were telling me and the questions we were having. It was a personal connection, but it was a moment where you weren't relaying a narrative to me. Mm. And I was like, mm. wow, she's so present right now, you know, and mm. I saw you think about what you were going to say and kind of check in with yourself a little bit. Um, while we were talking and, and it was just really, really powerful. And, and so I know anyone who's listening, who's, who's maybe interested in your work. Um, I can, I can vouch for the fact that you're someone who really practices presence. And, um, and even just in the interactions we have had, I've, I've really seen the, the actual embodiment that you carry and that you have Mm -hmm. and that you are. And, um, I, yeah, I, I love the, the way that you, you approach and carry yourself. You're, you're actually a a mega huge superstar. You're, (laughs) you're like a, a global superstar ready, you know, ready to go. Um, and, uh, and I can really see that you're, you're very well prepared to help people navigate really, really tricky situations, even your language choice, um, you you lead with the language of anti-oppression work, um, which is so important. You know, I'm a bisexual male, so I'm and I'm in a relationship with a man. My my partner is Sadi Simone. People know him. Hi, shout out <laughs> you, honey bunny. Hey, Sa. Um, <laughs> and uh, and being in a gay relationship versus being single and being bisexual. Mm. I I can experience, I'm experiencing a nuance there, you know, Mm, mm -hmm. and, um, and I'm experiencing the difference between um, being straight passing someone not looking at me and immediately having like a slur at at the tip of their tongue um, versus the opposite people looking at me and my boyfriend and having something to say immediately, you know, and um and also just watching my own brain and my own psyche and reflecting on the different years, you know, we all go through so much learning. Yeah. And, um, and so I, I sit in this moment and I'm, and I'm, and I'm aware of the, the power that you are holding and the, the power of your, your lineage and the, the, the different lineages that you access You're You're really, I mean, we're in the same medicine lineage. Yeah. so you and I share, we're sort of cousins. Well, no, we're brother and sister. Brother and, and sister. <laughs> in the uh in the shamanic medicine lineage. Um, I'm also a yogi. You're 
wanna, I want to hear more about your, your various lineages. You mentioned that word a couple times, and I know that with your ancestral work and other work, you're very attuned to the idea of lineage, but I can just really feel, I guess what's coming through is that you very much embody, you're like a perfect embodiment of a number of these different lineages that you're drawing upon. I'd love to hear you go on about that a little bit. Yeah, thank you. Um, what's coming up for me to share first is that I'm Beatty Brown's granddaughter and Corliss Beard's daughter and Allie Carson's niece and Aisha Kenyatta Carson's cousin, little sister. <laughs> and so these are the women who raised me. Mm-hmm. Only two of them are with us today. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're my primary lineage, their love, their suffering, their joy, their pleasure. I am their daughter. Ooh, makes it gives me emotional. <laughs> Excuse me, I need to take a second. Oh, yeah. It, it, it feels emotional for me. Um, I am the daughter of the Black freedom movement, right? I am uh, a descendant of folks that were enslaved and brought to this country to be exploited for free labor. And their extension of their freedom movement, the extension of their joy, the extension of their deep awareness of their own humanity. I'm a daughter of of them. Um, I'm a student of Omani Olir, who is, who taught me asana. Um, and I got to learn how to teach yoga from a black woman, um, through an organization called Yoga for a Hood in Rochester, New York, that offers free and donation-based classes with an emphasis on representation for people of black, specifically black people, people of color. Um, and access to those who do not, who can't afford it. And was taught in the inaugural teacher training that was also donation-based, which is, if you're in the yoga world, is revolutionary (laughs) because teacher trainings are insanely expensive. Um, And so I am also a lineage of, or student of the yogis that came before Imani, who taught her to all the texts, to all the spirits before. Um, And then my spiritual lineage, it's always funny when I say this. Um, I grew up with A Course in Miracles being the like cornerstone text next to the Bible, because I had Christian family. being the the center of my spiritual understanding. Um, When I was very small, I got to sit in the audience at Renaissance Unity and Marianne Williamson was my pastor. And so, and as an adult, Michael Beckwith, I sit in his audience and he is my pastor. Spiritually, even though I do not know either of those individuals personally, they have both been wildly important in shaping both my spiritual and worldview. So that's a good 
I think a good synopsis of my lineage. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's really, really beautiful because I think that you um, do them all really proud, Thank you know, you. and um, yeah, that I felt a lot of power in you invoking your lineages just now. And I could feel presence come in. And um, I could very much feel your, what I believe to be uh, your support. I, f- I feel that you're very much supported by the heavenly realms. Uh, you personally, I feel like people are supported and we're supported. Um, but I also see you personally um, being specifically uh, because of your sincerity, because of the path that you've chosen and the the many decisions that you've made on a daily basis uh, throughout your life and um, through the hard work of your ancestors and of the women who raised you, that you are very much highly favored, mm. to use that <laughs> phrase. I love that you use that phrase. My grandmother would say, I am blessed and highly favored all the time. <laughs> I can hear her <laughs> voice right now. <laughs> no. You know, it's funny. That's what was in my ear. And I couldn't not say those words. Yeah, I love that you did. That was her. <laughs> wow. What an honor. <laughs> yeah, what an honor. And and how, how wonderful to get to know you a little bit better. Uh, I was raised Mormon. So we used the Bible and the Book of Mormon. And then about age 10, I bought A Course in Miracles at the mall. Wow. <laughs> and uh, but it was it was definitely me like sneaking around the new age section. Hiding of. it. Yeah. <laughs> I was like A Course in Miracles, Kama Sutra, Astrology, Tai Chi. Yeah. I was like witchcraft, green magic, candle yeah. magic. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> how to start a coven, you know, yeah. <laughs> I, I was very much like in exploration and course of miracles. Um, uh, you know, anyone who's not familiar with the course of miracles, it's oftentimes bought in a combo set. So there's the text workbook for students and manual for teachers. And when I bought it, it was in separate books mm-hmm. and they were hardcover and there were three separate books. And they were different prices. And I could, I only had enough money for the cheapest one, which was the manual for teachers. So I read the manual for teachers like a dozen times when I was 10, when I was a kid. I love that. Yeah. First of all, I just love that you got through it and you were like, yeah, I'm needing to, cause it's dense. I mean, it's like, It can be almost as dense as the as the um, like King, like James, King James version of the Bible. You exactly, know? I knew it. I, that's exactly what I was thinking too. the The thing with the manual for teachers is it's so much shorter. It's like it's like ten percent, maybe even less, like one twentieth of what the text is. Right. right. You know. So and it's written like question answer. And so what the one question I remember from so long ago, before I even understood reincarnation at all, mm-hmm. was the question in the manual for teachers, is reincarnation so? Mm. And the the way the question was written, I my little my fourth grade brain did not get it. I was like, so is it so? But if, you know, of course I know what it means now. 
Um, Mm -hmm. But it was a little formal, a little outdated, you know, didn't fully get it. And then when I read the, the answer, it was so impactful for me that by the time I was initiated into the understanding of past lives or reincarnation or any of that, that I had such an openness around not needing it to be a certain way. And, and it didn't trigger foundational beliefs that were already conditioned into my psyche. And the way that it's answered in A Course in Miracles is, look, it pretty much doesn't matter if you think it was real, think reincarnation is real, or if you think it's not real. Uh, and it says a teacher of God doesn't need to take a hard stance on this because the important part is that birth is not the beginning and death is not the end. Mm-hmm. And it comes right back to presence. So no matter, you know, no matter how clear your past life memories are, no matter how, how clear the ancestral work is that you have to do, and no matter what visions you have of, of future lives or whatever, it's all right now. Yes. Yes. And that was so cool for me to hear that A Course in Miracles was saying, hmm, doesn't really matter. Yes. <laughs> you know? The Course has a couple of places where it kind of says that. And I'll be like, yeah. okay. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's, it's so healing for me because uh, I'm from a family that believes firmly in a pre-existence, mm-hmm. um, but reincarnation is pretty much not what they believe in. Yeah. Even though when you really listen to them, it's like. That's kind of what it is. That's kind of what you're talking about. But what, <laughs> yeah, I'm like, but so you're going to be a God later at another time after you do all important spiritual development work might you say that you reincarnate as a (laughs) no okay (laughs) Uh, well I think like that's kind of the beauty of I feel like that's the beauty of where we're at right now right right? Uh, I was listening to a Michael Beckwith sermon recently and it's a it's one that he did like in the early 2000s I think and he's talking about he was this he was on the radio and somebody asked him like um, about religion. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to butcher the story trying to retell it. But essentially, he says that, like, you know, all of us in the in the future, religion is going to be of no subsequent. Like, there's there's no point mm-hmm. because it doesn't matter the boat that you came on to to feel the love of the spirit. Right. Right. To be in oneness and alignment with the one of the spirit. And so right now we're just, you know, we all have our languages and we're all on these different boats to the same place. But um, it's always just so funny when we can see the parallels of all of all the teachings. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's my favorite thing. You know, I, I was recently contacted to be on a, a game show for people with extreme religious beliefs interesting and And you're supposed to be on it (laughs) i was like someone referred me and they were like yeah we heard that you believe in in jesus and you do full moon meditations and you lead ayahuasca retreats (laughs) and i was like oh crap i'm so much more (laughs) radical than i thought (laughs) i'm just kind of a normal nice guy You know, I mean, for me, all of those things came through in such natural 
uh, ways that I, I was so thoroughly guided and I was so um, present with and discriminating about and, and discerning th- throughout that they don't, none of that feels extreme to me at all. I know. And, yeah. and then speaking to them, it turns out what was really extreme was that I believed that all the religions were true. Mm, how fun <laughs> I was like is that extreme <laughs> I was like I agree with more people <laughs> so it's not that extreme I agree with more people than almost any extremist that's so interesting the idea that unity is an extreme concept absolutely I was like wow and and I and I just told them I was like you know what I would go be on your show and represent that voice and yeah. i would i would allow for it to be treated extreme as in mm. you know for for the sake of it to exist in that conversation you yeah, know absolutely and That's i and i love i love that reference to to michael beckwith's sermon where you said it's the boat that we come in come in on it's like less important you know um so i remember when i moved to los angeles i hated hearing where did you move where did you come from Cause I was like, I came from a place that I want nothing to do with that <laughs> me for the last 18 years. Okay. <laughs> like I came from a place that wanted me gone. Okay. Mm-hmm. You mind if we change the subject? Like, um, but, but I also think it's, so it's like the boat you came in on, you know, there's a reason I'm here, not there anymore, you know? Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, but there's also something interesting. Actually in the first episode of the podcast was, is a solo cast and it's called the new world religion. And uh, the new world religion is sort of a, it's a phrase I first heard in conspiracy, in the conspiracy universe. Yeah. Uh New world religion, new world order, whole They got some good, they got some good titles. (laughs) They went there and I was like, "Mm, juicy, you know, and I dive into it and I start to realize that a lot of these things are written by essentially uh, far right and far left political extremists who are who really have their perspectives and and a lot of times there's not a lot of nuance mm-hmm. there's not a lot of really like seeing other people's perspective it's a lot of fear a lot of division a lot of like projections um and uh and one of the things that's that always stood out to me was this idea of the new world order new world religion um and so i started to I learned about what where those phrases came from originally, and they're they're phrases that that are coined by women um, that are coined mostly. Most sources tether them to Helena Blavatsky and Alice Bailey, who are women who use those words completely differently mm. than these conspiracy theories are using them. But you can see that these women, Alice Bailey and Helena Wawatsky, are considered by far right Christian extreme extremist groups. They're considered like these huge evil witches, basically. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, But Illuminati referred to a secret society. This is how they describe it. A secret society that does not exist in the material world, but only in the spirit. Mm. of all the awakened ones who are ruling the the evolutionary advancement of humanity 
mm-hmm. a little different than a conspiracy theory about uh, people like sacrificing babies and taking over the planet and, and all that kind of thing, you know? Uh, and then the new world order is this big, scary phrase that we're hearing new world order is this totalitarian move where it's going to no, dude, that's the old world order. Did you miss it? That's that the part. old world order. That's what they've been doing. That's not right. new. That's the old world order. And when when they coined this phrase, new world order, they specifically say the true new world order will be a recalibration to the natural order where people will have a natural sense of equality, will have a different kind of intimacy with nature and with the animal kingdom. And, yes. uh, and it cannot be a totalitarian new world order. Yes. I mean, that awareness is so deep in us right now. Like in this moment, it's so funny. I'm in the process of curating an anthology. I think I remember talking to you about this when mm-hmm. we were in Rhythmia and like, you know, having my, my contributors are all in their own worlds creating um, for this anthology. But that's the theme of it is this new world order. It's how are we, how are we, um, it's called Love Notes for Revolution. And yeah. it's, Thank you. And it's like, how are we writing to the individual that is in the midst of the gestation and the death and the gestation of the new world, of the death of the old world, moving into the new world and in this weird limbo space that we find ourselves, you Mm -hmm. know, because the the old has got to die. That Mm -hmm. is that is how nature works. Yeah. Is on the cycle, you know. And I mean, it's scary, but it's, it's so, you know, it's so possible to. It's inevitable, right? Yes, yes, yeah, yeah. And what's interesting about it is this, I love the analogy and the metaphor of giving birth. You know, there's so much to that. And um, the the idea of one, one thing needing to die in order mm-hmm. for a new thing to be born in its place reminds me of how, you know, the pre, the baby teeth have to fall out in order for the the mature teeth to grow in and when we look at collective humanity we're we're not adults collectively we're not mature clear thinking communicating adults you know year, years ago i was going through a bad breakup and a woman one of my friends uh at the time who i had been seeing quite a bit of Catherine Woodward Thomas, she wrote a number of, she wrote Conscious Uncoupling and um, Calling in the One. So uh, uh, two relationship books. And she said, you know, whatever you do in this breakup um, is a gift to the collective unconscious because we don't know what we're doing. Mm. We collectively have not figured out love and sex and relationships. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know, so it's like watching how we as a collective have to grow up we've got to become the adults in the room that we thought were already there we 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 like sort of thought there were already adults in the room and (laughs) and they're like they're like technically have been but some of them have been creepers and some of them have been clueless and some of them have been lied to and Mm -hmm. it caused their conditioning to have them operate under completely false premises mm-hmm. and it's created a, a massively toxic environment where where humanity has become like delinquent juveniles 
only these juveniles are in their 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 80s, (laughs) and they they control massive resources. Um, I was having a moment driving today and I was like, wow, we all just agreed this is as good as it gets, cars. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's like I wow. think that about lots of things. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's like I I just often I mean, I had that moment over and over and over again uh working my most recent 9 to 5 where I'm like, wow. This is what we decided was the pinnacle of our purpose was <laughs> clocking in Monday through Friday 9 to 5 to work for corporations. Hmm. That's what we decided was the most important thing. And these corporations are doing things we pretty much don't agree with mostly. Yeah. If, if I was in a meeting at like Procter and Gamble and they were like, okay, so how do you feel about our toothpaste and like where we get our packaging and everything? I'd be like, well, it's like problematic. Yeah. You know, and yeah. and I totally respect and get that when you do anything on a large scale and there's millions of people that need toothpaste. I get that when you're trying to get all of humanity's teeth brushed, <laughs> you know, you've you've got some, you know, some stuff to really look at, you know, but but there is such an important reset happening. And I think that the anti-oppression work that you're doing is literally ushering in the consciousness that will allow for the new ideas that will be foundational to a new world order, a new era. I think that it comes back to, you know, Procter and Gamble, for example, we're picking on them right now, Sorry, but like, you know, it comes back to if your vision going back to the toolbox is that, well, in order to do this cheaply and fast, then that means we got to use all this plastic and we've got to use all these fossil fuels and da, 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 da. Well, what if your vision is that my goal is to get the nation's teeth clean, but it's to do that in the most helpful, in alignment with the nature's nature cycles as possible. Then it still becomes possible that you can do that thing, Mm -hmm. but with a different bottom line. And I think that that's where it's like, it's not, it's just that we have to be thinking about how we're doing it. It's so funny. I was having this conversation with the uh, my last boss <laughs> at this job when I was like, I have to transition out of this because I was like, it's not that what you're doing is wrong. It's that your vision is off and is not in alignment with what you say it is in alignment with. It's about getting creative. And I really feel like so many of our things, we think that we're always like, well, if we go back into this new world order, we all got to go back onto the farm and we all got to have our own milk cows and da, 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 which I do want. But, (laughs) you know, it doesn't have to be that extreme. It could be, but it doesn't have to be that extreme if we get radical about our vision. It's our vision that must be radical. You know, and where we are putting our focus, where we are expanding our imagination, that is what has to change so it can lead us into this new world. Absolutely. I love that. I love that so much. The the imagination is everything. It's the only thing that's even going to open up those new neural pathways to even check if 
any of these options are are even really there. If you don't have, if you're not taking the time to imagine what that could really be, you're not part of it. You will not be part of it and it will not be happening, you know? Uh, But if we open our minds up and our imagination, you know, they say when, uh, when the caterpillar wraps itself up in its chrysalis and all the aspects of that caterpillar have to completely deconstruct into like an ooze, they say that in that ooze, the imaginal cells are activated and the template for the butterfly wings uh, start to unfold through there. And it's like, it's like the metaphor works in this, these moments of presence Mm -hmm. where we're intentional about our thoughts and we get into that visionary state where we say, what, what does it really, really, really look like in the best case scenario? And then how do I get there? Yes. Deepak Chopra wrote a children's book and it's, I, I remember one part of it where he says, Imagine that thing that you're creating. It's Merlin who's saying it. It's a wizard who's saying it. Imagine that thing that you're that you want, and then live your life backwards from that moment mm. as a wizard does. And and every step of the way starts to make more sense. But but along the way, your vision is going to change because you're practicing staying so present. And so so going from making manufacturing toothpaste that has toxic additives in it that's that's toxifying water supplies that's utilizing a lot of plastics those kinds of things going from that to something else you're never going to do it unless you start to first give a shit you first have to care enough to even have the thought that what could that be like yeah totally biodegradable packaging where and and we've re- our standards for what is biodegradable are like non-existent. It's like this will biodegrade in thirty to fifty years. Like, <laughs> like I used for two months, thirty to fifty years. That doesn't count. That doesn't count. <laughs> you know. Meanwhile, other things were like, wow, that's going to be here for eleven million years. Right. You right. know. So, but yeah, yeah I, I love your approach. I love that it begins with the imagination and. Um, well, no, it, it begins with presence yeah. and then getting into that vision. And then from that vision, unlearning that which created the problems that we are surrounded by and then bringing it into the fascia of the body. Um, so often the body is referred to as the unconscious, where the where the unconscious lives. The issues are in the tissues, like you said. Yeah. yeah. And so through that embodiment, we're literally re reestablishing the unconscious mind where 97% of our decisions are, are made. Yes. Yes. Love that works so much. Okay. So where can we find you and how can we support you? Yeah. So you can find me on Instagram, on my website at let's get naked.com. That's L E T S G E T N E K K I D.com. And then put it at sign. If you're going on Instagram, um, and I think on TikTok too, I'm weird on TikTok. So, you know, <laughs> um, and yeah, I mean, the best way to find me is to get on my newsletter, just go to my website, get on my newsletter. You can follow me on Instagram, but I'm moving into the space of, 
um, connecting to people through written word through, Mm -hmm. through the newsletter. So yeah. And then on my podcast at naked conversations. Love it. Okay. I'll make sure to put the links to all of those in the show notes. I really, really do genuinely love the work that you're doing. Thank you. Uh, I think I should sign up for the toolbox. I've got please. To, right I would now. love that. Signing <laughs> up for it, and um, yeah, thank you so much for your your wisdom and the and the hard work that you're doing and mm-hmm. and embodying. And thank you so much for all of the gifts that you share and that you bring and the joy and light that you do it all with. It's a thank real- you so much. Thanks for seeing it and witnessing and having me on. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Okay. We're going to do this again uh, because this is such important work. And I know that for you, it's ever evolving and the community Mm -hmm. is always developing. And as your community develops, you learn more and more. And so I want to keep this conversation going. So let's do it again soon. Let's do it. (laughs) Yay. All right. Thanks a lot. Hey, it's Ben Decker. And I just have to thank you again for listening to the Modern Spirituality Podcast. For information on anything mentioned here, you can check out the show notes below. You can also get in touch with me via twitter.com slash Ben Decker, Instagram.com slash Benjamin W. Decker, or email me at Ben Decker at Modern Spirituality Podcast.com. It really does mean so much to me that you're here with me on the Modern Spirituality Journey. I'm genuinely super excited about what I've got planned for these next few episodes. So really make sure to subscribe to the Modern Spirituality Podcast so you can get in on what I've got coming up. And if this is resonating for you, if anything here helped or inspired or entertained you at all, please, please do rate this podcast and leave me a review. It means so much more than you might realize. So from the bottom of my heart, thank you, thank you, thank you, and thank you again.